HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to the first edition of the Food Steam here at HeritageRadioNetwork.com. My name is Michael Harlan Turkel. I am your host. I am a food photographer. Do the back of the house project for both Edible Brooklyn, Edible Manhattan, and I'm also the photo editor. Um, check us out on the website again, HeritageRadioNetwork.com, and you can call in live seven one eight four nine four nine seven two one two eight or email us at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You can also find us on podcasts or iTunes. Sponsor today is Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1965, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to www.hearstranch.com. Well, on our first edition, it only made sense, whereas I am a food photographer, to invite other food photographers and uh, talk a little bit of shop. So I'm happy to have Quentin Bacon, Francesco Tonelli, and Andrew Scavani. Everybody uh, say a collective hi. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Excellent. Um, We're just going to kind of talk shop a little bit and tell you a little of what it's like to be a professional food photographer. I think it's a very kind of glorified occupation at the moment. Uh, Restaurants are in vogue, uh, food network TV shows about reality in the kitchen. But a lot of people don't know that there's a whole another occupation of food photography, which helps promote the media and, you know, helps show people the beautiful food that they get to eat. Um, I'm going to start with Quentin, who... I know from many cookbooks, most recently, the Blue Ribbon Bakery, Bromberg Brothers Cookbook, uh, Aromas of Aleppo. Who, who wrote that book? Because I don't want to mispronounce his name. Um, it's, it's 
Poopa. Oh, Poopa Dweck. Poopa Dweck. Yeah. Poopa Dweck, and uh, the upcoming fall 2010, Sarah Beth's Kitchen. Um, Francesco Tonelli, born in Italy, raised in Milan, is a master chef, food stylist, taught at the CIA has shot and worked for La Cucina Italiana for years and yeah. now shoots for New York Times um, and clients everywhere. You know, uh, I see Conagra, General Mills, Kraft, PepsiCo, Planters, and 11 Madsen Park here in Manhattan, uh, Yucopa Fly. Um, and then Andrew Scrivani, who also works for the New York Times and has contributed cookbooks by Mark Bittman, Nigella Lawson, has a wonderful food blog called makingsundaysauce.com and preps and styles much of his own food. And I think that's where I want to start. Um, I want to talk to Francesco and Andrew specifically about their background in cooking, because Andrew does, what would you say, about 95% of your own cooking and styling? Yeah, about 95% of what I shoot. If it's not for an outside client, if I'm doing it in my own studio, I, I choose to cook and style the food myself. And do you have any background in cooking, or was it just a hobby interest? Well, I don't have a professional background in cooking, but I've been being raised in an Italian household. Uh, being familiar with the kitchen was something that was uh, almost uh, compulsory. So uh, I had my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother in the same kitchen teaching me how to cook and bake. So it's true heritage. It's, an, it's innate. It's in the blood. And then Francesco, also of Italian descent, was it a familiar thing or was it a professional thing that made you go into cooking prior to photography? Um, it was a professional thing. Um, uh, my brother is, uh, is a chef, my older brother. And so where's he a chef? He's a chef right now in Toronto in a restaurant has been uh, working uh, almost 30 years in Montreal before and before that in Milano where we grew up together. Oh, excellent. Now, what, what, restaurant in toronto you can plug it you can you can you know advertise for your brother a little bit i don't mind <laughs> um i don't think i remember the name right now <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put that on the website eventually um and then you taught at the culinary institute of america up until 2005 whereas you then set out to be a professional full-time professional commercial photographer and why that transition out of the kitchen um it's being a like a um, a sort of love that like a hidden love for me um i started um, um getting acquainted and and having a, a taste of uh, food photography back in italy uh, when i worked for la cucina italiana i was a consultant for the magazine and i was developing recipes for them um for featuring in the magazine in, in their monthly issues and I was also testing them in their test kitchen and then styling them for for the pictures. So you had everything else covered and you just got an itchy trigger finger and just uh, wanted to start taking photos as well? Actually, no. I, it didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. But I've been spending like seven years of my professional career alongside with the professional photographers that were taking pictures of my food. and But the, the, the entire work was so mystical to me they had they were working back then i'm talking about 1990 yeah so they were working with these large format cameras and they were putting these slides in and then twisting them around and it, you know i had no idea what was going on and I, I believe one time they let me look back behind the camera and everything was upside down so i said <laughs> you know forget it yeah. this is not for me yeah well uh, francesco had also told us that he is a, a baby of the digital photographer era because he never had to deal with analog or film, which I'd like to transition talking to Quentin for a second. 
whose uh, heritage is actually Australian, and found out that his mother, Miss Vo Bacon, had was it one of the first food shows in Australia? Yeah, she had um, started off the radio station for the ABC, and then food um, show after that. Yeah. So. so you know, starting from there, uh, going into shooting, how, how did you make that transition? I mean, you already had food in the family. Um, I think it was just that, you know, ticking the list at school, working out what you wanted to do, what you wanted to be <laughs> later on in life. And, you know, I didn't want to be caught in a, up in a corporate world or office and travel was my main passion and restaurants and food and just seemed to be the logical direction to go. Yeah. And what kind of school or education Started um, started after I finished high school. Started assisting, working for a couple of studios. I worked for a place in uh, Melbourne called the Trobe Studio, and they had four photographers. One did fashion, one did food. There's quite a big food photographer down there. There's a German guy Eddie Gaber who just shot everything tungsten, all yeah. large format. Um, so I had this good mix of shooting and working in different fields and different areas with different photographers, and. After summer, finished, ended up going to RMIT down in Melbourne and started, they had two directions you could go, either um, art or medical, and <laughs> did, went to the art direction, lasted about three, four months, and realised that the guys, after finishing the four years, were trying to get the job that I just left, uh, yeah. and I ended up bringing the studio I was at back again, saying, hey, is there any chance to get my old uh, job so, back? I mean, you had just used your life to kind of amalgamate this profession that you really wanted, so I mean... Yeah. Uh, we, we all kind of have to count our blessings for being able to do something that we really enjoy and, you know, are passionate about and still want to do after all these years of, you know, cooking and shooting and food. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about food photography today, magazines, cookbooks, other media on the Internet, more specifically about a New York Times article that just came out um, uh, in the past couple months about people shooting their own food. Uh, it was talking about how people go to restaurants, uh, take a quick photo either with their camera phone or have, you know, now digital SLRs, sometimes better than what I carry around. Um, but make the meal, well, in, in my eyes, disjunctive, um, because I at least feel that food should be enjoyed in this kind of, you know, temporal environment, ephemeral thing that the chef creates. And to take away from it and pause and then do your own thing when it's not really set up for that sometimes takes away from the dining experience and from the food itself. Um, I don't know if you read this article, but what, what are your thoughts about food bloggers uh, taking photographs or, you know, trends like food spotting, which is an iPhone app to take pictures of your food and then show to everybody where you ate and what you ate and critique it? Um, does it take away from the profession of f- food photography as a whole, from the quality? Well, it- the um, the article that you're referencing was attached to a Q and A that they had asked me to do for Diner's Journal. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the question that you're posing was one of the first questions that some of the readers had put out there was this kind of anger at food bloggers for having interrupted the dining process. Um, by flashing their cameras in the middle of the dining room or asking people to wait or readjusting the table or standing up or uh, having that having that um, that interruption and um, I referenced Randy Cohen and the ethicist you know about how you might want to take some of the tips I'm giving about photography and apply them in an ethical way in a restaurant because we had 
that that question was pretty prevalent. Yeah, I mean, still in my eyes, the best thing that you can shoot with is natural light and a prime lens, and. I don't see that happening often in restaurants, especially late at night, you know, with the glow of the candles and, you know, um, the somber light of the sun setting. It's hard to get even a moody photograph for, I would say, amateurs or professionals. So what are tips that you can give people about photographing their own food, even in that situation, um, outside of prime lenses and natural light? Go to lunch instead of dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. I mean, basically, when you're shooting food, you want to shoot as quick as you can um, while it's out hot and fresh. And when you're in a restaurant um, and it's all tungsten lit, it's it's never going to look that fabulous. Yeah, I know. It's so behind the eight ball because not just tungsten. I mean, I think it's one of the most mixed light situations other than, you know, going to a show at Madison Square Garden with a lighting show behind it. Uh, so stainless silver doesn't help bouncing flashes or lights and so when you go into a situation to photograph food do you look for control or do you look for the chef to control the shoot itself do you have a conversation with them about what you want to do when or do they just put plates out for you when you start photographing away um you try to strike up a relationship because i mean it's their food that they're sort of putting forward so i mean in being sort of respectful for them you you want to shoot what they're bringing out it's like Morimoto his food is quite theatrical and it's it's high and it's sculptural you know I mean I can't do that sort of thing um so you have to set that sort of situation you sort of stand back and you shoot what's there but majority of the time you sort of it's a collaboration and you're sort of working out what comes out and sometimes like if there's a sauce or a dew that sort of gets spread over there, you wait and say, okay, we'll throw that on at the very last minute just before we're about to shoot because otherwise it starts to congeal and gets cold. Yeah, and coming from cooking backgrounds like Francesco, what kind of sauces uh, do you watch out for? Do you oil salads? Do you salt proteins? I mean, are there certain steps of cooking and food styling that you wouldn't traditionally do if serving to a customer, but you would do if serving to a guest? I mean, uh, showing to a photographer? Uh, not particularly. I have to say one of the things that I, uh, probably the reason why I started doing um, what I'm doing is that I, I enjoy to cook the food as if I am about to eat. Actually, you know, the majority of the food that I shot ended up in my belly after the <laughs> shot. <laughs> so, That's what yeah. we call it's sustainable food photography. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And uh, so really, no, but I think that it shows in, in, a, in a somehow in an inexplicable way if the food tastes good, it shows in the picture. And I make a point to season it as if I was going to eat it. And actually, I season it because I'm going to eat it afterwards. <laughs> it's very rare that a, that a type of food stands out for so long that I'm, I'm not going to eat it. It, it. It's a rare occasion. So most of the time, that food really gets eaten. The only thing I would say I, I try to pay attention sometimes might be... Um, the temperature of the food, I, I might not make it as hot as if I was going to eat it right away because of the tendency of creating a, you know, a little bit of skin or, or just drying out. Or uh, things wilting or exactly. letching mm-hmm. out juices. But other than that, uh, it's pretty much real. Then on that note, how important <coughs> are working with stylists so you can separate yourself from just cooking the food, plating it, photographing, to you know, have somebody else there to almost be your sous chef on the photo shoot? I have to say, like Andrew Scrivani, um, I, I style 
if not 95, 94% of, <laughs> right. of, of the food that I shoot. And uh, I take pride of it. I enjoy it. Um, but I have to say that in a few occasions, I have worked with, with food stylists. And the first time that it happened to me, um, I, I had mixed feelings because I, it's, I didn't really want to give that part of my work into somebody else's hands. But uh, when it happened... Um, I felt like uh, I had nothing to do. I, in a way, I felt so good. I said, oh, my God, today is so easy. Yeah. I should, I should like, do this all the time. It's like having a half day off. Yeah. It really is. It's, I felt off. guilty. Yeah. But uh, is that kind of like expediting in the kitchen? I mean, it doesn't feel like you're actually on the line or in the heat. But. Well, not not particularly because I think the collaboration that there is with with a good food stylist, which I had the, the privilege of working with a, with a few very good ones, um, it's it's such a mutual respect that at that point I'm not expediting their work, but uh, you know I let them do what they what they know how to do well. And of course there is cooperation. We we might discuss how we uh, what we are expecting, what we want to achieve. But I'm not telling them how to do it because you know they they know exactly what they need to be doing. Now a uh, question for all three of you is. The majority of your work done in studios, or is it done on location? And if one or the other, how does it differ from, you know, the the latter? Well, I, I know I do most of my work in a studio, but um, there are occasions when you're in a in an environment, and um, I, I think it differs greatly. I mean, because you have so much control in a studio, and when you're in an environment, you have to use what's there. And the uh, there's opportunities there artistically, but it's also some challenges that are different than when you have complete control in a studio. So. Yeah, have you ever walked into a restaurant situation um, on location so you don't have that kind of additive control of you know your own lighting, your own you know elements, and just been completely frazzled by how the shoot went or you know what was being served to you? Not frazzled, but I walked into a situation last week at at the Modern that. I was expecting one environment. I got a completely different environment and had to make do with what was there. But that happens often, I think, in restaurants. You walk in and you have one expectation of what's going to be there and you get something completely different. Yeah, we, we were talking outside before the show about you know the importance of getting shot lists, the importance of clients being as forthright and upfront about what they want done. Because like a restaurant, uh, you know, like a beautifully plated dish, there's a lot that goes into it prior to it being put in front of you. So, I mean, what, what are important things that you ask for or need from clients prior to going into a restaurant, more than just shot list of the dish, do you look for the ingredients, how it was prepared, so you can even talk through those processes? Or is the final product the most important part of the shot for you? Sometimes when you're um, shooting the actual steps beforehand, before the final dish comes out, like if it's a stew or something like that, can actually look better in the pot itself than being served on the plate. You know, mm-hmm. um, and with other, you know, if there's something bubbling in a fry pan, you know, before it gets plated, you've got the oil or the bubble sort of splattering around, a bit of smoke and steam coming off. I mean, that that can sort of, it's that point before it goes on the plate actually tends to look better. When when I remember growing up, I didn't necessarily see all those process shots. Um, when when do you think that transition started happening, or what cookbooks influence you to shoot more like that? Um. I don't think there's any cookbooks that influenced me in that direction. It's just, it's just being in the kitchen while it was happening and, and just turning around going, oh, I love that. And you can always shoot it when it comes to the table on the plate. So from that point of view, it was um, 
it was more just seeing what was happening as it was progressing. Yeah, well, I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I said, if you would have asked me, I would have said Quentin Bacon's books. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, when we come back from commercial, we're going to talk a little bit more about cookbooks and about recent ones that you've done. Funny enough, Quentin had just shot Odo's newest cookbook. Uh, Mario's. Yeah, and Mario's eating some pizza at Roberta's today. So we'll be back. I'm Michael Harlan Turkel, and you're listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Welcome back to the food scene. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Um, we were just talking about cookbooks in general, about influences and which ones, you know, a couple of have recently been doing. And funny enough, uh, Mary Batali's eating some pizza at Roberta's and Quentin just shot his most recent Oto cookbook. And um, I also want to talk about a couple of the other cookbooks that you've done, like Blue Ribbon, Bromberg Brothers, The Aromas of Aleppo, Sarah Beth's Kitchen, um, and other clients, I think, William Sonoma, you've shot for Ina Garden's cookbooks, yeah, too? Yeah, Ina's actually just worked with her the other day and finished a book that, um, her latest one, well, probably coming out in six months Excellent. or a year. Which have been some of your favorite projects and why? Um, actually, I did this one recently called Good to the Grain. It was um, shot in um, Los Angeles. There's a baker down there, and she had no budget whatsoever, and she just everything she cooked with was totally sort of organic or um, un, sort of um, genetically modified grains. And uh, I mean, she was so passionate about what she she did, and she has a, had a young family, no money whatsoever. And I uh, asked if I wanted to do the book, and it was like, yeah, okay, I'll come down to LA for a couple of days. <laughs> so she asked you, <laughs> yeah, and the publishing company had had a chat and. Um, and it was great. We shot, uh, I think we shot the whole book over four days, um, and just shot in a kitchen in a living room, and got a prop stylist and brought some stuff in, and you know, she did the cooking, and I sort of helped her with the plating of it. And it, was, it made a really nice, it was a great experience. Yeah. So, do you prefer shooting cookbooks to magazine spreads? To um, I like doing a bit of everything. Yeah. Sort of cross section breaking up. Cookbooks are nice because you're working for a week or two weeks, so it's sort of in one area. Ingrained, embedded. Yeah, you know, sort of um, magazine work it ends up being lifestyle travel because it makes a lot with doing a lot of people stuff as well. So it ends up being sort of running around different places and locations. And Excellent. And Francesco drove down from upstate New York near Kingston today, uh, where he has a nice little studio. Do you do a lot of traveling or are you mainly? 
in your studio shooting assignments for clients New York Times? Uh, <clears throat> I would say it's a, a bit a mix of both. I do a lot of shooting here in New York City. Uh, and I've been doing a little bit of traveling, but I would say the majority of my work is in New York City, and uh, uh, it's spread between New York City and my studio. And are those of the bigger commercial clients? Because I saw on your website that you work with ConAgra, General Mills, Kraft, PepsiCo, Planters. So a lot of it's studio setups, but that doesn't necessarily have a chef. Correct. And those are the, the like the big commercial clients like that. Um, are um, situation where either I style the food or those are the few instances where I have been working with uh, with a food stylist. I see. And as far as restaurants in New York, I noticed that you've done work for Eleven Madison Parks. Um, I'm actually I'm actually working with them right now. We are uh, we are shooting their cookbook. Oh, fantastic! And that's going to be like an ongoing project for the next uh, uh, three seasons. We are shooting the spring session now. And then uh, soon to be the summer, and then fall and winter, and so that's that's going to be a very exciting project, and also awesome. like an ongoing relationship. Big, big congrats to you and to them too for a uh, recent Beard Award for Daniel Hume and all the accolades for Eleven Madison Park. Just the transformation in the last few years. It's a fantastic epic. place to to be working with. It's truly exciting, and especially because of my background as a chef, it's extremely uh, rewarding and thrilling to see. Um, how this operation works like at top level and functioning like like a Swiss clock. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> very much. And he is uh, well, he is Austrian, isn't he? No, he's Swiss. He's Swiss. Okay, so that no. <laughs> <laughs> that made sense. That makes sense. <laughs> and Andrew, um, you recently were talking about a couple cookbook projects. Yeah, we um, we shoot the uh, Martha Roshulman's recipes for health uh, on the web. It's a part of the, the health, fitness, and nutrition section of the New York Times uh, on the web. It's web exclusive. And what they've done, uh, Rodale Publishing decided they were going to publish a cookbook of basically every recipe that was on the website for about 18 months. We've been at it for a little over two years now. And we, uh, we put out a new recipe um, every day of the week, during the week, Monday through Friday. There's a new recipe, and this has been ongoing for over two years now. So they've decided that uh, they wanted to make cookbooks out of out of the images and the recipes. So R- Rodale bought up everything they needed to do, and they've assembled it. Um, so there was no uh, additional shooting necessary. Everything that was already shot. So it was all just stockpiled. It was already, already stockpiled. Yeah, and there's a lot more where that came from because it's there's a new image every day. Yeah. So it's it's it, it, they pile up after a while. But See, uh, that should be that should be a tip to all photographers out there: never <clears throat> stop shooting because it can eventually become you know a, a compilation or it you just never want to put down that camera because you never know what can come of it um from that i i kind of wanted to talk about favorite assignments um outside of you know necessarily just cookbooks magazines it could be food related which i prefer for this show um or not food related what what were some of the most the biggest highlights of your career thus far shooting food well, on for me, aside from this eleven Madison Park cookbook, which I'm, I'm extremely excited about shooting, um, I am um, actually doing another cookbook with the Culinary Institute of America, and uh, I am actually being one of the authors together with two other Italian chefs. And the cookbook is going to be called Past Italian uh, Pasta at Home. And so it's a cookbook all about pasta and risottos and gnocchi 
And so we we are coming up with the recipes. We are uh, cooking them, styling them, and and I take the pictures. So wow. that, that's definitely yeah. very exciting for Doesn't me. Doesn't sound too bad. And no. <laughs> how often do you guys buy food for yourselves, or do you feel like you're fed on set uh, often enough? Often, yeah, <laughs> almost every day. Yeah, yeah let's see the test of good good recipe is or when they're actually playing around you um, shooting it it's when you want to have that one for lunch it's like okay I want to eat that for lunch yeah that's sort of the, the major test I think then speaking of recipes what are some of your favorite recipes that you've come away with from your shoots themselves um god so, so bloody many of them um this one that comes to mind was which was for an Italian cookbook and it was just this basic tomato uh, sauce that you just tore the tomatoes in pieces, put them in a glass bowl, put the oil, uh, vinegar, salt, and just let it out all day. Just sort of, you know, yeah, just room temperature, temperature just let it and, stew. And yeah. just let it stew. And then you just made your pasta and you just threw it in last minute. And it was just so simple. It was, it was great summer. It was a really great summer pasta. <coughs> the favorite recipes from shoots, from assignments? Well, I just recently did a uh, pork vindaloo recipe that was just fantastic. It was, uh, I think it was uh, a John Willoughby's recipe. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was uh, it was part of an Alex Witchell column. And it was just, it lived in the fridge for days and just got better as as you kept going back to it. And it was a huge pile of stew. So we, we were, you know, we were at it for at least a week. It's a nice and perk. it was a really, it was a terrific recipe and it was something that I would definitely make again. And Francesco? And uh, I did, um, um, I did an article for Maxim magazine about, uh, about two years ago. And uh, I, I've been traveling several cities for getting some of their best food from special locations. And, uh, I remember a, a place in New Jersey, like a Portuguese restaurant, uh, cooking this, uh, roasting these little suckling pigs, and uh, they—it's they, amazing how they make them. They—they—they they, they cook them like um, eight or ten of them at a time in this huge oven, and they come out completely crispy on the outside, and. Uh, and the meat is so delicate and juicy and coming <laughs> off the bone. That I'm, I'm glad we're on the radio because I think everyone here is salivating. <laughs> that, <so. laughs> it is an appetizing sight, but not necessarily seeing us, you know, wanting this food so bad. Um, recipes. Do you think that being a food photographer has made you a better cook as well? I mean, are there a lot of techniques that you pick up from shoots that you wouldn't have known prior? Um, well, definitely. For for what I'm concerned, my experience that I just began at 11 Madison Park is it's unbelievable. It's opening my eyes uh, what Daniel Hum is doing in terms of uh, sous vide and molecular cuisine and uh, and and you know his entire style. It's it's so much eye opening for me. I'm learning and I'm seeing textures and techniques that I I wasn't aware as a chef before. So well, that that is a wonderful pitch for the book too. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, and it comes out next year by Little Brown, I believe. Right? I believe so. Excellent. Um, screw food photography. Let's talk about eats too, because you guys are making me too hungry. Some of your favorite <laughs> restaurants in New York, Manhattan, or Brooklyn. Oh, God. Um, I suppose Andrew Camelini's new restaurant. Oh, La Conda Verde? Yeah. 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 yeah, I had one of the best all-around meals I've had in a long time. I 
Um, it's one of those things where you know, someone asks a question about New York, and you just go totally blank. Yeah. I always have to define it as what area and what cuisine, so it's at yeah. least enough of a stall maneuver that I can you know, process. Still trying to find the amazing um, Indian restaurants, so if you guys know any... Indian food is one I really, really love. London? Not London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I I go for my spices in Jackson Heights. So, I mean, most places around there, you know, are so direct to the source of where the ingredients are coming from, um, you know, that I think you can... It's a pretty good percentage of decent food in that area. See, you know, I always think of <clears throat> Curry Hill if I want that kind of food, or Chinatown if I want Chinese, and... But New York has become such a true melting pot and so eclectic with restaurants that you can find so many different cuisines in so many different ethnic neighborhoods. I mean, you've even seen what Chinatown has done to Little Italy. Um, mm. But there are also, you know, like Portuguese, Brazilian, this, that, in those two areas themselves. So. Well, there's, there's an amazing Sri Lankan restaurant in Staten Island that's sort of like a, like a storefront on a main drag, on a main drag that um, I've been to called New Asha. And... It's completely unassuming, and you go in, and it's the most beautiful, authentic food from that part of the world that you can have in the city. I think it's and it's been written up in a couple of different, you know, obscure places, but it's uh, because it's so unassuming and it's be in such a kind of an odd place that it it takes you by surprise. See, I think those are the wonderful benefits of being a food photographer: the travel, the aspect of finding these holes in the walls that are just those rough gems and have the most delicious food that you wouldn't have found otherwise than being sent there and trying to, you know, create this image of, you know, an oasis. Um, on that note, we're kind of wrapping up our first episode of The Food Scene. I am Michael Harlan Turkel, your host, and I'd just like to thank our sponsor, Hearst Ranch, again, um, produced by Jack Inslee, engineered by Nat Wiener. You're listening to us on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Check out our website, heritageradionetwork.com, for shows and archives and live calendar. You can call in live, 718-497-2128. Email us at info at heritageradionetwork.com, and you can also find our podcast on iTunes. Again, Michael Harlan Jarkel, and you are listening to The Food Scene. <laughs>